Welcome to the SEC. You got to get better. Hey, this is elite, man. You got to win your one-on-ones. And uh, anybody you play any any given day in the SEC, there's going to be athletes across from you. We got to cover them. We got to win our one-on-ones, or we got to do something different. And now some of the young guys that hadn't played a, a bunch, you know, uh, they're just going to – I think they're going to be really good football players. They just got to get a lot of experience. And uh, we wasn't there today, obviously. I know what you're thinking. I'm a liar. I'm sorry. I apologize. I lied. I've said the hurry up wasn't coming back this season, and yet here we are with the hurry up. Now, let me explain myself. I said all offseason I wasn't coming back with the hurry up, and yet here we are, 838 in my office, recording a hurry up. Now, I have, I have an excuse, and I have some explaining to do. First of all, when I said I wasn't going to do a hurry up, it was for several reasons. One, the hurry up exhausted me last year because a lot of games were late. I stayed up late, got home late, a lot of 3.30, 4 a.m. bedtimes. I have two young children getting up early in the morning. The hurry up got very, very difficult. So that was one reason that I was abandoning the hurry up. The other was last year LSU went 15-0. and And I just I knew LSU wasn't going 15-0 and this year. And I kind of thought that LSU would lose a game this year. And I didn't know how I would do a hurry up after LSU lost a game because I had only ever done them with LSU being undefeated. And I was like, man, I'm just going to walk off in the sunset. I'm going to retire the hurry up. It's undefeated 15-0, and and we're going to roll with it. But you know what? I'm recording this for you, and I'm recording this for all the people, and there's a lot of you. And I'm, I'm actually serious. I was joking a little bit. I'm actually serious when I say this. So many people reached out and said that they wanted this, they enjoyed this, that I said, I'm going to do it no matter what. Win or loss, I'm going to do it for the season. We're doing the hurry up. It's coming back. Now, it's going to be different this year for a number of reasons. Uh, the most obvious is of, of which is LSU is not undefeated. Uh, they are not going to go undefeated. They just lost to Mississippi State, and we're going to talk about that. It is back. It is going to be different. And the biggest reason it's going to be different, and the biggest way it's going to be different, is last year the hurry-up was a very raw thing. We made it up on the fly, kind of like we did with the hype videos. People gave us a lot of credit for our hype videos last year, and they were great. They were they were very on the fly. It was a very week-to-week project. We didn't plan on it going into the season. At least I didn't, being an every week thing. It just evolved into that, and that's how th- these things of content work. Uh, the hurry-up has evolved this year, and it's got to evolve. One, because it's a different team, and LSU lost a game, and they might lose another game based on the way they played tonight. And so we've got to be adaptive and figure out different ways to talk about the game. But two, is I think it's just going to make for better content. So uh, that's my long spiel. My first long spiel. There's more long spiels coming. Just wait. This thing's going to be full of long spiels because it's just me talking. Uh, Although I do have interviews with some of the players from after the game, and we'll talk about those in a second. But I want to start here. And the first segment we're going to do on the hurry up this season, maybe just for this episode, maybe going forward the rest of them. We'll see how it goes. It's called First Things First. First Things First is going to be the first thing that I record. It's the first thing that I think about after the game. It's sort of my overall encompassment of the game. Try to tie it to something bigger than football, bigger than the game that just happened, maybe more of like a, a broadly applicable uh, rant, if you will. But I'll try to keep it, you know, not very ranty. I'm not much of a ranter. But I want to start here. Life is all about balance and perspective. And I want to start with perspective. LSU just lost a football game, 44-34. I'm not happy about it. The guys that I talked to after the game, Miles Brennan, you're going to hear from him, Damone Clark, Jabril Cox, Jacoby Stevens, um, you're going to hear from all those guys in a second. Actually, I didn't talk to Jacoby. Um, I talked to Damone, Jabril, Miles, and Terrace Marshall. So those are the guys that I have on the podcast today. They're not happy about the loss. Zach Von Rosenberg tweeted after the game, we're hurting just like you. We're going to get it right. Losing stinks, and it particularly stinks when you haven't lost a game in 672 days like LSU does. It's a weird feeling. We don't remember what it feels like, but I want to be very clear from the start what this podcast is and really what my platform is. If you're listening to this, if you read my stuff, you know I work for LSU. That's that's a given. So like, first of all, just from like a, a sheer, I want to get my next paycheck perspective, I'm not going to sit here and take shots at people, but independent of that, I also... Regardless, if LSU fired me tomorrow or whatever, please don't do that, LSU. If I didn't work for LSU and I continued to cover the team, I would want to come 
from a platform of positivity. And I don't mean unrealistic positivity. I don't mean delusion. I don't mean sunshine pumping, even though I joke about that all the time. I don't mean ignoring the obvious deficiencies and focusing only on the positive. That's not what I mean. I mean, I'm going to focus on positives on this episode. Discuss negatives. We're definitely going to talk about them, but we're going to think about those in the context of what can we do to fix those things. That's just my perspective on this. So here's the positive. First, we played football. Like, go back to the summer. Maybe it was just me. I don't think I'm alone in this, though. But there were definitely times this summer where I was sitting there thinking, there's not going to be college football this fall. It's just not going to happen. And I was just thinking about, man, all the things that I took for granted, the the band, the fans, the chants, the camaraderie, that's all stuff that I never cared about. Like, as a LSU fan, I was always much more interested in the X's and O's, the football, the tactics, the strategies, all that stuff. And then the stories behind the players and their families and stuff. But the pageantry never got to me. It was just never, I I grew up around it. I was just used to it. It was never a thing. Today was different, man. And I'm going back to the beginning of the game. We're going to talk about the game. I promise you, we're going to talk about the good stuff, the bad stuff. We're going to get to all of it. But I want to start here. Hearing the alma mater for the first time, hearing the four notes, even though the band was playing it from the north end zone instead of the, the field, seeing people in purple and gold around LSU, even if it was different with the masks, Hearing the team come out to We Ready, all the the little traditions, the big ones. I know I left some out. The the, the victory walk, the, the walk down Victory Hill. Everything was different, but it was a closer facsimile of normalcy. And I got emotional a couple of times. I'm not the type to get emotional about this kind of stuff. I've I used to cover the team from the outside, objectively. I, I just never have gotten emotional about this kind of stuff. But when the alma mater was played after, like after the game, I was on the field about to interview the players that you'll hear later in the show. And the band played the alma mater to an empty stadium. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. The last time that I heard the alma mater was at the national championship game. And I remember when they were playing it at the national championship game, I said, Cody, stop what you're doing. Put down your phone. Quit looking around at at everything that's going on and just listen to this and look at all the fans around. I don't know why that occurred to me. I think I was just, you know, trying to be in the present moment. And so I, I just drank that moment in. And I thought about that moment all offseason, just wondering when the next time I would get to experience that was. And so on the field after the game tonight, I'm, I'm angry, just like y'all are, um, just like the players are. I'm talking about like, man, we got to fix the defense and, you know, the, the Miles has got to get rid of the ball quicker and all the stuff that everyone's thinking. I'm thinking that stuff and talking about it. And then the, the band played the alma mater. There's nobody in the stadium. And the, I guess... They didn't even. They weren't even playing it. Sorry, this is when the band sings the alma mater, a cappella. If you stick around long enough after the games, they do it at the end of every game. And there's no one in the stadium except you know me and a couple of LSU media people and the band. And I got goosebumps. And I, I compared it, the empty Tiger Stadium, to the national championship. The the contrast, the contrast of having just won the national championship to having just lost the first game of the season. Totally different scenarios. But that song just reminded me of what's important, what really matters. And I'm look, it's it's a, a, an hour or two after that. I'm still not happy about the loss. There's still a lot of stuff that we have to talk about and fix. But we had football tonight. And I'll never take football for granted again, period. LSU could go 0-10 this season, which they're not going to do. They're going to get better. LSU could go 0-10 this season, and I would still stop every time the band starts saying that alma mater – and remember all the things that it represents, the things that it connects me to, the things that matter most. And I'm telling you, if you think I'm sunshine pumping, I would have done this part of the rant if LSU had won by 50, lost by 50, lost by 10, won by 10. This, to me, was the most important thing of the game tonight. It was the thing that I was thinking about before the game, the thing I was thinking about during the game, and the thing that I thought about after the game. Football is back. I will never take that for granted again. Here's what else is positive. We saw some good things. There's some good things. Saw some good things on offense. Saw some good things on defense. Less good things. And I had fun watching those things. Like, it was fun to watch football. It was fun to watch Terrace Marshall catch a touchdown. It was fun to watch Eli Ricks make an interception. It was fun to watch Jacoby Stevens do some Honey Badger-type stuff defensively. That's all the positive stuff. Now, here's what sucks. LSU lost. The defense played really poorly. They gave up a record number of passing yards. Derek Stingley did not play. The offense is clearly not at the level of last year's offense. The schedule is hard, and that was a game that we all thought LSU would win. And so there are some some negatives that are going to be addressed by Coach O. 
that he talked about in his press conference, the players talked about in their press conference with me, those things suck. Now, I've told you what's positive and negative. Here is the reality as I wrap up this really long first things first. We are coming off a historic season and playing in an unprecedented one. I tweeted this during the game. Pardon my French. If you're listening with your kids, I'm going to say a minor curse word here. It's going to be a weird-ass season. It's just going to be a weird season. We saw that from the start tonight. The capacity is weird. Weird stuff happened in college football. Oklahoma lost again. Arkansas, Georgia was 10-5 at some point. Miles Brennan's first touchdown, he basically threw with his left hand on the ground looking to the sideline. It's going to be a weird-ass season. And I say enjoy it. Enjoy the madness. Embrace it. Do we want LSU to win more games? Yes. Do we want them to play better? Please, God. Yes, I hope they play better. But I say enjoy it. This team is not going to play a worse game than they did in this first game, I think. I think that's the worst game they're going to play all season. I hope it's the worst game they play all season. I think this team has a much higher ceiling than that, and I think that's probably their floor. I think that's probably the the worst that they can play, and they still nearly got the win. So I see a team that has hit its floor, and I see a coach that when he's hit his floor before, as in the last time he lost a home game to a non-Alabama team, that was Troy in 2017, he used that as fuel and a starting point to get his team back to where they wanted to go. So that's what I see coming for this team. Getting Derek Stingley back fixes a ton. We'll talk about him being out. Growth and maturity fixes a ton. Failure is a hell of a teacher. And in my opinion, this LSU team has nothing to lose. We're coming off an amazing season. They can never take that away from us. We've hit the peak, okay? Now that we move to 2020 and it's such a weird season, I say embrace it and see what happens. Get behind a team, see if they can get better. Now, if I come back in a couple weeks and LSU's 0-4, then I might be singing a different song. But I don't think I will be. I'm going to try to enjoy this season, focus on some positives where they are, and when I look at a negative, see, hey, what can LSU do with this to fix it? And if it's hopeless, then it's hopeless. But I don't think it's hopeless. I saw some things tonight that don't make me feel hopeless, and, and uh, there were certainly some things that ticked me off and annoyed me, and uh, and certainly some things they got to get better at. But I, I just choose to be optimistic and look forward to it. So that's first things first. It was super long. Maybe I'll make it shorter next time. But I'm feeling emotional. I'm feeling emotional because it was good to get – I'm just like a whirlwind of emotions. I'm a in a glass case of my emotions, to quote Ron Burgundy, because of the high of getting back to football and the low of losing a football game, which I forgot what it felt like. I, I really did forget what it felt like. It reminds me of the Texas A&M game, seven overtimes, 2018, the last time LSU lost, which was like one of the worst nights of my life. I don't want to relive that night. I'm not going to do it here. But – First things first, life is all about balance and perspective, and I wanted to give you that balance and perspective. Now, let's get to the box score. Here are the stats that really stand out. One of them is really obvious. 632 passing yards for Mississippi State. Excuse me, 632 total yards. I can't even get the stat right. 632 total yards, 623 which came in the air. KJ Costello, 36 of 60, 623 yards, five touchdowns, two picks, 168.1 rating. He made some mistakes, Costello did, but uh, really slung it around the yard in the air raid offense. Three different guys went over 100 yards for Mississippi State. Cyrus Mitchell had seven catches, 183 yards, two touchdowns. Kylan Hill, the running back, eight catches, 158, one touchdown. And LSU couldn't stop the passing game at all. Derek Stingley being out clearly hurt. There was a massive drop-off from Stingley to the next guy because Stingley is uh, the best cornerback in the country flat out, and having him was uh, was not great for LSU, but we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Other stats that really stand out, third downs. Mississippi State, eight of 16. of their third downs and scored several touchdowns. I think at least three of their touchdowns on third downs. LSU's offense, just five of 17 on third down. That makes a huge difference. Speaking of third downs, there was a tweet from Charles Hannagriff that I think really summed up where LSU got hurt on third down. And it's not necessarily that I'm not going to say this was the difference in the game. This is is what I tweeted. I'm not going to say it's the difference in the game. But when the margins are thin, like they were for this LSU team, you just can't have situations like this. State converted a third and 20, a third and 13, and two third and 10s for touchdowns. If you get off on the field on on those plays, it's probably a different football game. So I think you look at the passing yards, that's obviously a huge stat that hurt LSU. You look at third downs, that's a huge stat that hurt LSU. And another third down stat that I just saw as I was looking this up, First downs by the pass, 
on third down. So third downs converted through the air for a first down passing. Mississippi State had seven. LSU had one. That's a, that's a massive difference in what Mississippi State was able to execute in the passing game and what LSU was able to execute in the passing game, especially on third down, which is huge in games like this. The final stat that I want to share is one that Michael Bonnet at LSU Bonnet tweeted out early in the game, and I think this one is as telling as any. Today's LSU football starting lineup featured the same number of players that started in the national championship game. Three, three players who started in the national championship game started in this game as those who were playing at the FCS level last year, Jabril Cox, Darren Evans, and Liam Shanahan. So LSU had as many starters back from the national championship game. Let's see if I can do them off the top of my head. Terrace Marshall was one. Austin Deculus was one. Jacoby Stevens was one. That would be the three that I would guess. They had three players back from that starting lineup and three players who came up from the FCS level in Jabril Cox, Darren Evans, and Liam Shanahan. So that touches on the turnover that LSU uh, had on this roster, and I think it has to put things in perspective. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a little break. Reading some of those stats, it kind of spoiled my mood. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause here, take a little break, and when I get back, I'll be recording from my house. I'm going to have a a nice 15-minute quiet car ride under my belt, probably be sitting outside with a beverage, and then we'll get to good news, bad news. And I'll decide if I want to do the good news first or the bad news because I don't really know where I'm going to go right now. But stick around, and I'll be right back with good news, bad news. We'll do a little mailbag, take some of your questions, and then we will come back and wrap things up with player interviews. Safely in my house, have my dog sitting next to me. I uh, I have some ice cream in my belly. I went for ice cream instead of uh, a cocktail. I just felt like I needed to come at this with a, a completely unfiltered mind, and I got a little sugar rush going, so I'm good to go. So, with all that said, I'm going to start with the good news. Um, as we get to the good news, bad news here in the second part of this podcast, I'm going to start with the good news this week. Like I said, some weeks I'll start with good news. Some weeks I will start with bad news, but this week, um, despite the loss, I'm going to start with the good news. And here's some of the good news. First, this LSU team just played its worst game of the season. And I know that doesn't sound like good news, but it is good news because this team is only going to get better. Derek Stingley, hopefully, will be back. And that fixes a lot of the problems because the biggest problem tonight for LSU was the inability to match up one-on-one on the outside. It doesn't happen often at LSU, but I kind of talked about this on previous podcasts. My biggest concern after watching a couple scrimmages was the depth at cornerback. And I talked about it, about it with Hester on the previous podcast, and maybe it's my fault that, that I jinxed it, but I said we were talking about punt returners, and I said it was when we were doing over-unders. And I said uh, over-under Derek Stingley punt returns for a touchdown, 0.5. And he said... Hester said in his wisdom, I don't want Derek Stanley back there returning punts. I'm a, he's too valuable. I don't want him back there. And I said, you know what? You make a good point because, you know, not only is he super valuable, there's not a lot of depth at that spot. You can't afford to lose any corners. And then, of course, what do we do? We, we find out Saturday morning that Derek Stanley is not going to play in the game because he was taken to the hospital. Um, and if you don't know the backstory, you know, basically LSU put out a statement Saturday morning saying, that Derek Stingley had been taken to the hospital for precautionary reasons. Uh, he had something that happened overnight. They took him in. It wasn't COVID-related. He would be released soon and evaluated by the team doctor. So uh, last I heard, he was being released, has been released. I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I, I, that, uh, I'm not a news reporter anymore. But basically from Coach O's comments after the game, it sounds like he's um, they, they feel good about his health right now. Now, I don't know if that means he's back next week. Two weeks, six weeks, I I don't know. I don't know what the time frame is. But eventually he will be back. And just that domino effect is going to have huge implications for LSU's defense. Is it going to solve all of the many problems that we saw tonight with their inability to match up one-on-one on on the outside of man-to-man coverage? No, it's not going to fix all those problems. But it's going to fix a lot of them. 
there's a huge domino effect there when you take a guy like Cordell Flott, for example, who struggled tonight. He is a very good number two corner or a very good slot corner, but when you bump him up to number one, he's swimming in uncharted waters for him. When you take a Jay Ward, who probably, as Coach O said after the game, shouldn't have played tonight. He's been out for a couple weeks with an injury. Not quite 100%. Played okay tonight, made some mistakes, made some plays, but you see the potential there. A guy that I heard had a great camp. You take him from being the third corner and you make him the second or first corner, completely different waters to swim in. You get Derek Stingley back, you get guys back in their proper roles. I think that fixes a ton of stuff in your secondary. One, it takes away half the field. I mean, you put Derek Stingley on one side, you could pretty much lock down that half of the field. You can address some issues elsewhere, focus more attention elsewhere. Tonight, LSU really couldn't take away any side of the field. And so what do you do? Do you put safety help over the top? Well, Mississippi State spreads you out when you do that. And they hit you with the crossing routes underneath and they catch and run. And then you, you got two safeties up top. You can't really bring pressure. And LSU really only had success when you bring pressure. So what I'm getting at is that when you have defensive issues, a big glaring defensive issue, an inability to match up one-on-one on the outside, it makes a lot of other problems that you have worse. And the flip side is when you have a Derek Stingley, it makes a lot of problems that you have a lot less significant because you can address them and cover them up in different ways. So he's going to be back. Jay Ward's going to be healthier. Todd Harris is going to be healthier at safety. This team, and particularly this defense that just played its worst game, is going to get better. To flip it to the offense, the other good news is that Miles Brennan is going to be fine. And I'm not really going to, I'm not going to use this place to insult Twitter, for example, because I get Twitter. I understand people uh, who tweet. I understand what Twitter is. Twitter, a lot of times, is just instant reaction. What am I feeling emotionally about what's going on right now? And a lot of, because I, I tweet like that sometimes too when I'm watching the NBA or watch the Pelicans or whatever uh, other teams I'm a fan of. I get that. I get the emotional response. I understand what, what Twitter is. And so I certainly saw the negative tweets directed at Miles Brennan when he made mistakes tonight. Because he made mistakes. He really did make mistakes. He wasn't perfect. Surprising, I know. We're used to perfect quarterback play at LSU for history, right? LSU's always had perfect quarterback play, right? Or that was just last season that we were perfect at quarterback? That's right. I'm remembering now. But Miles wasn't perfect. But he's going to be fine. And look, I, I joked about it during the game because it is a joke that I'm driving the Miles Brennan bandwagon. I mean, I am. I'm not joking about that. But like, I'm I'm all aboard. Miles is going to be fine. Remember, I know it's his fourth year, but remember, it was his first ever start and his first SEC start. And to put that in context, this is just facts. I'm not giving you any opinion here. This is just facts. Here is the passer rating for LSU's quarterbacks since 2008 in their first start in the SEC. Jarrett Lee, 164. Point nine, really good first start in the SEC. Jordan Jefferson, one hundred thirty-one point five. Zach Mettenberger, one hundred eight point one. That's not as good. Anthony Jennings, slightly worse, one hundred point seven. Brandon Harris, a lot worse, fifty-six point two. You remember that Auburn game in two thousand fourteen, don't you? Or have you tried to forget it? Like I have. Danny Etling, pretty solid, one hundred thirty-four point five. Joe Burrow, not very good, one hundred fifteen point five. Miles Brennan, pretty solid, one hundred thirty-four point five. Miles Brennan until that last interception that he just threw up. For grabs, Hail Mary in the end zone didn't really matter. He completed 60% of his passes, thrown for 350 yards, and threw for three touchdowns. If I would have told you that Miles Brennan would do that every game this year, you would take it and you would run with it. Because that means he's thrown for 30 touchdowns, and he's thrown for 3,000 yards, and he's completing 60% of his passes. That's good enough, should be good enough, for LSU to have a very good season. And Miles is only going to get better, as we saw in this game. What we saw in the first half with Miles was him running an offense or running at least play calls that didn't quite fit where he was for this game. Maybe it was a comfort level thing. Maybe it was something that State was giving him. But he just looked a little little uncertain. And it was a lot of what LSU did last year, progressive reads, throwing over the middle of the field, reading the defense, getting rid of it on time early, letting your receivers make a play in the gaps of his own. Joe Burrow was great at that. Miles Brennan is not there yet because it's his first SEC start, because Joe Burrow wasn't there in his first SEC start either. But what I saw from LSU and Steve Hensminger and Miles Brennan in the second half was an adjustment back to what I thought maybe they would do at the beginning and maybe what they realized halfway through that they had to do. They ran the ball a little bit more, got Chris Curry involved. He finished with nine carries, 47 yards. 
John Emery had some nice carries in the second half. Tidy Davis Price did. You've got good running backs. They use them to just soften that defense a little bit. Then they let Miles get rid of it quickly. Quick screens to Eric Gilbert, Drake Jenkins. Dr. Kirkland had a quick catch. Then they used the deep ball to stretch the field a little bit. And then that's when Miles made plays. He hit Terrace Marshall for a touchdown. His Even his interception, he had Racy McMath. He read it right. Maybe he's a half second late. Maybe he should have stepped up six inches more in the pocket. That's a first start mistake. He's going to fix that. Miles Brennan is going to be fine. I saw enough gamerism out of him tonight, making some plays in big moments. So enough arm talent out of him tonight. Does he have things that he has, has? Does he have things that he has to fix? Absolutely, he does. And you're going to hear from him talk about that in just a second. The things that he knows he has to fix. But he is going to be just fine. The other good news is he still has studs at receiver to throw through. Eric Gilbert is a stud. Was he perfect? No, he dropped the ball. Uh, but he he made a play, an unbelievable play for the touchdown. He's going to make a bunch of unbelievable plays. Terrace Marshall is absolutely a first-round talent at wide receiver. Again, Terrace, he'll, he'll talk about this in a second, didn't play his best game, had a couple drops, but then made an incredible one-handed touchdown catch that was just ridiculous. Miles has those weapons. He's going to lean on them. They're going to get better. That's the good news. And there is some good news on defense. I know it doesn't seem like it when you give up the yardage that LSU did, but there is good news on defense. Just, just bear with me for a second. The defense can make some plays. They can make a few plays here. There were some things there to like. Jabril Cox, pick six, big play. We can see some playmaker ability in him. Ali Gay, a defensive end, had a monster game. Ali Gay is a guy that when I went out to practice, I've told this story before, but I went out to practice for the first time. He was literally the first guy I saw. I said, who is 11? He looks incredible in pads. And it was Ali Gay, and he looked incredible tonight and some of the things that he did. Looking at his final stats, he was all over the field, Super disruptive. He finished with uh, a sack, two tackles for loss, three PBUs on batted balls. He was a constant presence back there. His his sack was unbelievable. He just kind of reached over the lineman, grabbed Costello by the shoulder pads, threw him down. He can do some things. Jacoby Stevens made some incredible plays. Six tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, a forced fumble, two fumble recoveries. He did some things tonight that you look at him and you say, yeah, that's why he's wearing number seven. He did some things that were flashy that we've joked about before in conversations with him. He made some flashy plays. Eli Ricks, again, the corner struggle tonight, went up and grabbed a huge interception and a huge moment. Joseph Evans was a little bit disruptive at times at defensive tackle. So you saw some guys with the potential to make plays. The defense has some guys there. They can generate some pressure. They, they did generate some pressure. They had five sacks and seven tackles for loss and forced four turnovers. So those are those are positive things and that's the good news now we have to get to the bad news which is what a lot of you have been waiting for totally understand there's a lot of bad news coming out of this game and the first one is very obvious LSU's got to figure out how to match up man-to-man on the outside Derek Stingley's absence was painful and it hurt tonight but it can't hurt that bad you've got to find guys ways to make stops and I don't know if it's a defensive adjustment necessarily I'm not the scheme guy I'll save that for Hester when we talk later in the week and we'll let Coach O and the coaches kind of talk about that publicly. It's just not something that, one, I'm familiar with, two, I haven't rewatched the tape or anything. But when you give up 623 yards and five touchdowns, you just kind of know. You, you know that there's a lot to fix there. We saw the one-on-one balls. We saw that LSU struggled with cornerback and cornerback depth. And I don't know if it's, you know, just guys getting better and, and the Derek Stingley knock-on effect, but it's got it's got to be fixed. It's got to be fixed. And it's uh, – that that's – to me, probably the most frustrating thing is that you're used to a standard of defensive back play at LSU, and I know those guys in that locker room, um, the, the young cornerbacks, they're they're hurting over this right now, and I think they need a little swagger, they need a little confidence. Hopefully, Stingley can get back, give it to them. But if not, they got to find a way to generate themselves. Luckily, they got Corey Raymond, probably the best coach at that position in the country. He'll know what to do. He'll know how to face this challenge. I trust him to help get it fixed, but. That's the bad news. That's that's the bad news with the defense is that they couldn't stop anybody in the passing game. Uh, I could say the good news in the in the defense was that they held State to nine yards rushing, but State didn't really try to run the ball. Like they just didn't. Costello lost thirty eight yards on sacks. So when you look at that, that that kind of adds some some numbers back to their padding. But the inability to stop the pass to match up one on one is something that LSU is going to have to fix really quick. And and that's uh, that's the first of the bad news. The second of the bad news is some of the mistakes that you saw on offense. 
the two picks for Miles, really the one pick, um, which was a little bit more unfortunate. I think the two picks are harsh on Miles tonight. Um, but Miles wasn't perfect. He, he knows that. He talks about that. His indecision early, his processing clock was a little bit slow, held onto the ball a little bit too long, didn't get the reads exactly right as he needed to, missed a couple open receivers in terms of not seeing them, missed a couple open receivers in terms of just not making the accurate throw. Um, that's got to get fixed. And that's why the bad news offensively is that the offense has taken a step back. Now, let's be very, very clear. We're going to have to be very, very clear on this all year. Comparing this year's offense to last year's offense at any position is a recipe for stress. It's a recipe for frustration. It's a recipe for failure. You just can't do it. You cannot compare this year's offense to last year's offense because any offense in college football history will pale in comparison to what last year's did. That said, there is a standard for execution, for making easy plays that you do want to see. And LSU struggled with that at times tonight. I thought Miles got better as, as the game went on, but you saw drops from the receivers. Like, I'm looking at Terrace Marshall's numbers. Terrace was awesome tonight. Eight catches, 22 yards, 122 yards, two touchdowns on 10 targets. Well, the two incompletions were drops. So you clean that up. That that helps quite a bit. You know, Eric Gilbert, four catches on eight targets. He had a drop mixed in there, a couple inaccurate throws. And in the end, the passing game didn't complete – 60% of its passes. It was just below that. It was close, but it wasn't there. And last year we're used to 70 and sometimes 80. Again, it ain't going to be there. Okay. So don't even, you know, I was listening to the post game show on the way over here with uh, Hannah Griff and, and T Bob, and they were talking about the comparisons. And Hannah Griff was like, I wrote it down. I wrote down, do not compare last year's offense to this year's offense. I think that's a great idea. I think we should all get it like tattooed on our hands. Just forget about last year for now. That flag is going to fly forever. By the way, they hoisted it today. It was freaking awesome. Even though there were only 20,000 fans in there, I got massive goosebumps when that flag went up. It's incredible to see that. That flag is going to fly forever. It ain't going anywhere. It's going to be stuck up there. I saw some guy from Clemson, Isaiah Simmons, tweeted one hit wonder. A, not true. LSU has four national championships, not one. B, so what? That one hit right there, it ain't going anywhere. It's there forever. LSU won that game forever, won that season for forever. Let the flag fly. Let the flag stay there. Let it represent last season. And let's look at this year's team for this year's team. And it was funny. I was sitting up next to, to Grant Kavar, one of the, the grad student workers in uh, in the LSU athletic department about, I don't know, halfway through the third quarter. He was like, man, if if like we looked at Miles' numbers right now and applied them to any other quarterback in LSU history – prior to last season, we'd be thrilled with them. And that's true. And what's also true is that we can see the numbers and we can also see some of the spots where execution can get better. And the bad news is that the passing game did misfire on some cylinders. I still like the direction they're going in, though. I still like where they're heading to. Here's the last bit of bad news before we get to the player interviews. The schedule is completely unforgiving. Now, fortunately... A little good news within the bad news. The early schedule does give you some room. Vanderbilt is not at the top of the SEC in terms of preseason predictions. Missouri is not at the top of the SEC in terms of preseason predictions. After that, it gets fast, and it gets fast in a hurry. Florida, who put up a ton of points today, is waiting for LSU, and you've got to go to Florida to play that game. That is not going to be easy at all. You've got Auburn two weeks after that. You've got Alabama Coming up after that, it's 10 SEC games and a team that would have gone 9-3 and three in a different season with, you know, a 5-3 and three record in the SEC, you know, that maybe that's a 6-4 and four season this year. Maybe that's a 5-5 five and five season this year. There is no margin for error, which means there is no time to waste. And this team has to get better. It has to get better fast. Tell the Truth Monday is going to be huge this week because these guys got to process this. They got to learn from their mistakes. Get ready for Vanderbilt, and you not, you need not just to go on the road and beat Vanderbilt, which is going to be hard enough to travel and and deal with all that and put your mistakes behind you and get better in a hurry, block out the, the negativity that's going to come their way this week. you got to win that game convincingly to get yourself some confidence for Missouri, for Florida, for South Carolina, for Auburn. The, the schedule is so tough this year, and it's backloaded. That's good news and bad news because it gives you time to figure out your identity, which this team clearly needs time to find out their identity. But the, the margin for error is very, very slim. All right, before we get to our player interviews, 
Let's get to a couple of mailbag questions. You can always find me on Twitter after the game at Cody Worsham. Send any questions there. I prefer if you feel like doing a little extra work, going to the link in the description of every episode and you can send in a voice message like Logan Seal did after this game. Logan, thank you for sending in the message. We're going to play it here in a second. If you send me a voice message, as long as like you don't like curse or act like a jerk, I'll probably play it. Like I, I just like having the voice message option. If you're shy of your voice and you don't want to use your voice, then you can always send them on Twitter. Okay, let's get to Logan Seal's question first. How do I politely explain to my friends that that was not Miles Brennan's fault? All right, this is why I love the voice questions. You can hear the frustration in Logan's voice. I like when other voices are on here because I don't want to, I can't represent everybody, right? Like I feel a certain way, but I don't expect you all to feel the same way that I do. I don't expect you to be as upbeat or positive as I am. Like that's just my approach. That's just what works for me. I don't expect it to work for you. But what I like about Logan's question is I can hear the frustration in his voice. I can hear he's frustrated that LSU lost. We all are, man. It sucks. I would much rather be talking to you after a win. But you can also hear the frustration he has for people who aren't seeing his perspective on this. And his perspective is that that loss was not Miles Brennan's fault. And to a degree, I agree with him. Now, let me say this. You don't have to agree with Logan. And I don't think that's what he's asking. Because the way that he asked it was, how do I politely explain to my friends that it wasn't Miles Brennan's fault? To paraphrase the question. So I'm going to focus on that politely aspect first. And it goes back to something I was just saying. It's okay to disagree. Like, I think Miles was, he struggled early, got better as the game went along, wasn't amazing, wasn't great, but he he showed some good things. There's some things there that I see that I'm excited about. Could he have played better and LSU would have won the game? Sure. Do I think the game was his fault? Absolutely not. Like, part of it was, if he plays a little bit better, maybe... LSU scores on this drive or that drive if he picks up another third down here. Of course that helps LSU. But there's 21 other dudes out there on the field. So it's not all his fault. I will say this, and I said this before. Here's how I would politely explain that it wasn't Miles Brennan's fault. Let's just take everything else out of the equation. If I told you that Miles Brennan was going to throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns, and LSU would put up 34 points ahead of this game. Be perfectly honest with yourself. Would you have said LSU wins this game or LSU loses this game? I personally would have said LSU would have won the game if they scored 34 points in offense and Miles ran through for 350 yards and three touchdowns. Even throwing the two interceptions, I said LSU wins that game. Miles does not have to throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns every game for this team to win. But if this team gives up 600 passing yards every game, they're not going to win a game at all, period. That was the difference in the game. Mississippi State won their one-on-ones offensively nine times out of ten. They were winning on the edge so much. And LSU won just a little bit less. And so you're going to ask your defense to either get better or your offense to play almost perfect. I think you're going to ask your defense to get better. That's my opinion. So how I would politely explain it is Miles did some good things. He's got a lot of improving to do. But he did his job. He did enough to win the game in my opinion. And then you know what? If they disagree, Logan, it's okay. We can disagree on these things. We can be LSU thing fans and, and disagree on these things. You can say that it was Miles Brennan's fault if you want to. I'll disagree with you, but you can say that. To me, where I just I get frustrated is when the line crosses from, yeah, this guy didn't play well, or you know, it's his fault or whatever. It's where it gets like the personal and people taking that stuff on Twitter. Just leave those conversations for between you and your friends. Twitter is already a bad enough place as it is sometimes. The negativity there, it's not contributing to anything. So that, that would be my take on that. Logan, thank you for the question. Now, as I insult Twitter, let me turn to Twitter for some more questions. All right, this one from uh, from Jeff Asher at Crimeletics on Twitter, one of my favorite followers. She's been great during the coronavirus with stats and stuff. Great question. Can LSU win a title with Orgeron as coach, or is it time to move on? Jeff what a great question. Thank you for that perspective. Brandon Best, uh, deep breath. We saw flashes of good plays at times, but obviously we didn't perform to LSU standards. Do you think the inconsistent play is due to young, inexperienced players or a breakdown of play calling? I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, Brandon. It's a good question at LSU on Twitter, by the way. Uh, thank, and thank you for being such a loyal supporter of the podcast. 
Um, I, I think it's a combination of both, but I think it's more about the youth and inexperience. I tweeted this at one point during the game. This, the, and this kind of goes back to the flat point I was making earlier. The gap between being a number two, a backup player, or a, a, a high school superstar, and then that next step becoming going from a number two to a superstar, or excuse me, from a number two to a number one, from a number one to a superstar, from a high school standout to a college starter. It is a huge step. And every college football team navigates that huge step every year, but no team has ever navigated that step the way that LSU just did. It goes back to that stat I was talking about in the box score section that Michael Bonnet tweeted out. Three players back who started in the national championship game would have been four if Derek Stingley would have played, but just three, Jacoby Stevens, Austin Deculus, and Terrace Marshall. All 19 other guys that started, not including the special teamers. By the way, Zach Von Rosenberg and Cade York were very good tonight. Every other guy's gone. So you're replacing five first-round picks. You're replacing 14 NFL draft picks. You're replacing, I think, what, 20 guys that signed NFL contracts. Yes, LSU has recruited well. Yes, I think there's a lot of talent there. Yes, I expect LSU to play better going forward with that talent, get more out of that talent, execute better to get the most out of that talent going forward. But there is a huge gap between what those 20-plus guys produced last year and what the guys now stepping up into their fill their shoes. There's a huge gap between their levels, and it's not about talent. It's about experience. It's about know-how. It's about confidence. It's about the half second of decision-making that goes from making a good play and a bad play. It's about the speed of the game. It's marginal things that don't show up in recruiting analysis and 40 times and height weight and vertical leaps, but it makes a huge difference on the field and in play. And so, Brandon, to go to your question, I think it's more about young inexperienced players, and I think their inexperience makes it a little bit harder on the play calling to get that play calling right. But look, like I said, like defensively, if you can't guard one-on-one on the edge, there's really not a whole lot you can do in terms of play calling. Offensively, if you can't protect the quarterback and keep him from getting sacked or quarterback get rid of the ball in a certain time, there's not much you can do play calling. So I tend to, I tend to give, you know, Coach O said after the game that the losses are on him. He takes losses. He always says that. I tend to give more credit to the players and a little more, you know, when the, a little less blame to the coaches. Just so, for example, like when LSU plays well, I tend to give the players a little more credit because they played well and they executed the game plan. And when they don't play well, I tend to put that on the players too. Like they're still they, – they, there's only so much that coaching can do. And certainly this was not a perfectly coached game and and Coach O and his staff are looking inward to fix those things. But I just – I tend to think that it's more about the players and that the margins are decided by the coaches. That's just kind of my philosophy. I don't know if it's worth the, the airspace that I just set into this microphone on, but that's just – tends to be my philosophy. So I'd go a little bit more with the inexperience of the players. And the good thing is they're about to get a lot more experience because, hey, they're in the fire now, and there's no getting out at this point. Landon Mitchell with the most succinct version of the questions. Why do you think Miles held on to it for so long? Why did our corners get burnt? I've already answered those questions. I just wanted to read it because, Landon, that was so beautifully succinct, and I've been so horridly rambling on this show that I just wanted to give you credit for your succinctness. I have much to learn from you. All right, here's a good question from Justin Welch at underscore Justin Welch underscore on Twitter. I understand Stingley is our best player, but one player can't turn you into the worst defensive performance in team history. Maybe hyperbole, haven't checked, LOL. What did Coach O see to make him say the Tigers were going to be better on D this year than last? I think he saw the disruption. Justin, I think he saw the sacks and the pressure they were generating. From what I've heard, I didn't go to the first scrimmage. From what I've heard in the first scrimmage, the defense looked really, really excellent. Now, Glenn Logan, I think, was out there for that scrimmage. He was out. I think that's that's maybe not a huge impact in this game necessarily. But Neil Farrell was on probably a, a, a snap restriction of some sort. But, you know, I think Derek Stingley also played in that scrimmage. And Jay Ward may have been healthy for that scrimmage. I can't remember. But this is a different secondary with Stingley at one corner, Jay Ward healthy at one corner, Elias Ricks working in, Cordell Flott in the slot. That's a, a very different secondary than what we saw tonight. So I think that's probably what he saw that he liked was the pressure. 
and maybe the offense struggled a little bit in that scrimmage and the secondary didn't quite get exposed because there were more guys out there and more bodies. That would be my guess. I wasn't at that one. See, I was at the second scrimmage, which I've talked about, and I felt very good about the offense because they were executing, and I was worried about the defense because the cornerback depth concerned me. I talked about that on the podcast with Hester. Well, that came to fruition tonight. I will say this. Coach O is very, very honest with his scrimmage recaps, and he's very, very forthright about all that stuff. If you hear him say it, he's not making it up. He's he's being very honest about it. So that gives me some encouragement that maybe the defense can find something that they had in that first scrimmage. So uh, thanks for the question, Justin. Let's get to another one. Kelly uh, asks my question, why? Kelly, I, I, at Kelly Creech on Twitter, I wish I could give you a better answer than that. Last question, then we'll get to the interviews. I know this is a long episode. I kind of want these hurry-ups. Uh, I don't even know if I'm going to call them the hurry-up anymore. That's kind of occurring to me now as I wrap this thing up. I kind of want these to be longer because I put them out on Sundays and – Typically, when I listen to podcasts on Sunday, I'm cutting the grass or I'm doing something laid back or I'm listening to it first thing Monday morning and I have a little more time to work with with my listening. And so I want something longer. If this was too long, let me know. I'd love, uh, I'd gladly make it shorter for you guys. But I wanted to make it long so I could get all my thoughts in, so that I could get some player interviews in, so that I could kind of touch on everything and have a little bit more organization and structure to it. If it's too long, just let me know. We'll we'll fix it. Um, this is strictly for y'all. I do this for the dedicated listeners who make it 58 minutes and two seconds into my, my recordings as I look at my timer right here. Um, if you've made it this far, you are the most loyal of the most loyal. And so I want to hear your feedback. If you like it, let me know. If you don't like it, let me know. We'll get it fixed. But Stephen Stoner at Stephen Stoner 8 on Twitter asks, what is this team, uh, excuse me, what is this team's identity on offense? I know it's early, but the O made no sense. Didn't see much RPO. Secondary is just young. I skipped over a little bit there. But uh, essentially he's asking what the offense's identity is. And I think we're still looking for that answer. And I think we started to find that answer in the second half. I thought LSU would run it a little bit more than they did. Maybe it's a product of what they've seen in practice that I haven't seen. Maybe it's a product of trying to go against state, seeing weaknesses. Maybe it's a product of still figuring out their identity. But I thought in the second half, their ability to establish the run on first down a little bit more, and I meant to look up the stats on that, and I haven't, so I'll, I'll, I'll go back and check that later in the week and tweet it. But it felt like they ran it a little bit more early in the second half. That opened up some of the underneath passing, and then that opened up the expanded passing downfield. And I think that's part of the offensive identity, is using that run to pass a little bit more than last year where it was pass to run, I think this year's team could be run to pass. And did I say that right? I actually don't know. What I meant was, what I meant was, I think this year's team can be a run based identity, a Chris Curry, Ty Davis Price, John Emery run based identity, mixed with a pass counter to it, where your your strength is sticking the ball in those guys' guts, let them get the tough yards, put miles in advantageous situations, and then let them capitalize. I'm not saying it's going to tilt all the way that direction. I think there can just be more of that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I think a big part of the identity is miles growth. I think a big part of the identity is Terrace Marshall is a legit wide receiver one. I think a big part of the identity is Eric Gilbert is a monster at tight end. And while he's a freshman, he's going to make a lot of plays for you. I think a big part of your identity is you've got playmakers all over the place at wide receiver. So, you know, Dre Jenkins being a guy that stepped up tonight. So as I say that, that's probably why LSU was throwing the ball so much early because they do have so many good playmakers at wide receiver and because Miles can make a lot of throws. I do think they got away from the over-the-middle throw in the second half, did hit the sidelines a little more, and that's a throw that Miles can make. His first completion to Eric Gilbert was a, a rope to the sidelines. He can fit that ball into a tight window on the sidelines because he's got a big arm. He was floating his deep balls a little bit more than I expected to. I thought he would, he would put a little more juice on them, but they were getting there, and they were they were complete. Um, the one to Terrace Marshall was a big one. The one to Dre Jenkins was a big one downfield. So there's still some room to improve on those throws, but it's certainly part of the offense. So I think it's just finding all those elements and refining them. But, yeah, the, the things that need to be fixed are obvious, and we're about to hear from Miles on those. Get rid of it a little bit quicker, take a few less sacks, maybe get running the ball a little bit better, be a little more comfortable in the pocket. And, uh, look, I, I'm just really not worried about the offense. It's weird. I, I feel good about the offense. And I, what I saw from a quarterback in his first start encouraged me that Miles Brennan, a year from now, three weeks from now, uh, next week, 
and even more than that, two years from now, if he's still at LSU, can be a big-time playmaker for the Tigers. All right, that'll wrap it up for the mailbag part. I'm going to now um, – that's it for me, at least, on the show. You're going to hear now the interviews with Miles Brennan, Damone Clark, Jabril Cox, Terrace Marshall, in whatever order I happen to put them in. Uh, I introduced them at the beginning, so you'll, you'll know. You won't be confused. But uh, that's it for me, at least, recording. So I'll say here now, thank you for listening. If you've made it this far – you just listened to an hour of podcasts after LSU lost the game. Think about how good it's going to feel to listen to one after LSU wins, and I think that's going to happen next week. And I, look, I'm still I'm still bullish on this team. I'm still buying. I'm buying their stock while they're low. Um, I, I I talked about positivity at the beginning of this. I don't want it to be unrealistic positivity. I don't want to pump sunshine um, where there, there's real weaknesses, and you know I don't want to, I don't want to lie. I want to be honest, but I want to be honest with an optimistic outlook and think that the things that I saw that were good about this team tonight are the things they're going to build on and the things that were bad, they're going to fix. Now, maybe that doesn't happen. I don't know. But again, I choose to think that that is exactly what's going to happen and that they're going to take this loss, build on it from there. So without further ado, let me throw it to my interviews. While you listen to those interviews, I will uh, in real time be going back and cleaning up some of the audio, adding in some transitions and refining this thing so it's ready for you on Sunday morning. So, again, thanks for listening. Uh, enjoy these interviews, and uh, until next time, I'll talk to you. All right, catching up post game, LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall. Terrace, tough one for you guys. Uh, the offense put up some numbers. I mean, if you go back and look at the box score, the offense produced. I know you all have some plays on the field that, that you'd like to have back, but just kind of run us through the offense and – getting comfortable in a new system, a new quarterback. Um, how were those adjustments throughout the game? Uh, I mean, we started off the game, I, I could say we started off a little slow. I mean, in the first half, the whole first half, we started off slow. We came back out second half, you know, amped up a little bit, came back out here. I mean, I feel like we executed, but I feel like we still left some stuff on the field, just like you said. I mean, this whole day, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things we could have did better. We did some things good, but mostly we could have did some things better. And uh, I feel like if we would have did that, we would have came out with the win. But how, how would you assess how Miles grew into the game in particular? His first start in the SEC, first start. Um, you know, some ups, some downs for him. That's tough. But, you know, he, he did bounce back, make some plays for you guys in the second half. Just kind of what, what did he show to you tonight? Uh, my hat's off to Miles, man. I mean, it's first game. I mean, first game starting. I mean, it's, it's the SEC. I mean, ain't nothing perfect anyway. So, I mean, you can't look for him. I mean, everybody's looking at the expectations of what Joe did. I mean, you can't look at that. Miles got his own error. So, I mean, we just it's just up to our fans to to just keep pushing and just keep believing in what we got going. Uh, focus on individual stuff for a second. Get back to team stuff after that. Last time we talked, you talked about wanting to, to have 100 catches this year, 20 touchdowns. That was before the schedule change, uh, but the, the schedule's now a 10-game schedule, but you did get the two touchdowns, which kind of keep you on that track. I know after a loss it's hard to look at the individual stuff, but just kind of grade yourself for me individually. Um, I know you set high standards for yourself. Um, what would you think of your game tonight? Uh, I love some things out of field. I definitely had some drops, some, some, some drops that I, that I usually catch. And I wish that I can get back, but I can't. So, I mean, I, I, I got a lot of things I need to improve on, and I'm going to go to this next week just uh, try to get better as much as I can. Take, take me through your, your two touchdowns and just kind of break those down for me from a perspective, where the ball was, the route, that sort of thing. Uh, first one I took off, went down in the middle of the field, saw that the middle of the field was open. I took it. Um, he grabbed me a little bit. I kind of saw it late, then I just – I grabbed it, and then uh, set in the second one, kind of a one-handed grab, right? Second one, one-handed grab. Uh, Adjusted to the ball, find my my right arm. He was pulling my right arm, so it was behind me. So I just put my left arm up, and I had to look it in and try to make a great catch. When the offense was struggling to get going, waiting for somebody to make a play, Jare Jenkins stepped up and, and made some big plays for you guys. Uh, fans probably putting the wide receivers in order of you know who they expected to step up and make a play. Dre would have been the fifth or sixth name on that list, but he, he emerged to the top tonight and made some big plays for you guys. What did you see from him? Uh, Dre's a very hard worker, man. I mean, he, he works hard in practice, so when you work hard in practice, it, it comes to the field and it shows. So, I mean, I'm just happy to, to be able to see him have his moment, and uh, hopefully he can have more moments in the upcoming season. It's been a while since you felt this feeling, losing a, losing a football game like this. How do you come back from it? I know everyone's upset. You guys are upset. The fans are upset. 
mean, everybody that's wearing purple and gold is not happy. But what do you do to, to rebound to make sure that, you know, you build on the positive things, correct the negative things, and get ready for Vanderbilt? Uh, look at it as life, man. You got to overcome adversity. Things going to happen. You're going to take losses. It's about how you bounce back from them. Uh, it's the first game, and we got we got nine more to go. I have many more to go. So we're just going to keep improving. Last one for you. We didn't know that this might happen. I mean, during the during the summer, it looked like football might not happen. What was it like to be out here, 25,000 fans? It's not what it is normally, but it's better than nothing. Oh, it's definitely a blessing to be able to just come out here and play, play this beautiful game that I love. I mean, I don't take it for granted. So, I mean, I'm always thankful when I get to step out here and play. All right, Terrence, thank you, man. Appreciate yes, sir, it. Thank you. Go Tigers. All right, catching up with LSU linebacker Damone Clark after the game. Damone, a tough one, uh, especially for the defense. I know that's not – um, which you guys would have wanted to, to happen tonight defensively. Take us through it. What's, what's the, the feeling like in the locker room after a game like that? How do you um, correct what you got to correct, but also not you know let the negatives weigh you down for the rest of the season? How do you build on this? Well, uh, <clears throat> we just got to correct the things we needed to correct. Um, it was unfortunate that you know what happened to one of our brothers, but um, we had to keep playing, man. But uh, <clears throat> as far as the defense, we just got to stay together. As far as the team, just stay together. You know, don't point the finger at each other because those are the same guys we're going to be playing with for the next nine games. So, I mean, it, it ain't the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? We got to correct the things we got to correct and, uh, and move on to the next. Yeah, I'm not going to pump sunshine after after a game, but there were, it wasn't all negative. It wasn't all terrible. I think one of the things that you guys did do better defensively than we've seen in the past is there was a lot of pressure, a lot of turnovers. Um, how did y'all generate some of that? Jabril, who's standing over there, he'll talk to us in a second, gets the pick six. Jacoby had like a Tyron Matthew type of night with forced fumbles and, and fumble recoveries. How did y'all generate that defensively, and how do you continue to do that? I mean, you just got to be confident with everything you do, man, confident and communicate, you know. Uh, at times <clears throat> at times, I feel we lack uh, the communication part, but like I said, it's not the end of the world, man, you know. Uh, we just got to move on to the next, correct the things we need to correct, and just stay together as brothers. When you find out before a game that a guy like Derek Stingley isn't going to play, um, this has been an off season unlike any other where it's just constantly like, all right, next man up, next man up. But at some point, it seems like it would take a toll. How do you take news like that? How do you, as number 18, keep your defense in positive spirits and going forward when you find out that you're going to be missing a player like that? Like I said, it's unfortunate what happened to Derek. Uh, he's in our prayers, uh, he and his family, both. But, I mean, it's always the next man up, you know. It's unfortunate that we didn't have him out here, the best corner in all college football. But, like I said, it's next man up. Um, and I, We played, you know, if, if one of us was in Derek's shoes, he would have played his heart out for us. So it was only right that we do the same for him, but we just fell short. I ended the interview with Terrace with this question. I'll ask you the same thing. There was times this summer where – the possibility of playing in Tiger Stadium this fall seemed like it wasn't going to happen. Um, it happened tonight. Now, it's different. There's 25,000 people and certainly a different uh, feeling than it is before. But in some ways, it was kind of a return to normalcy or at least a step toward it. What did it feel like running out there, wearing the number 18 for the first time, different than your previous trips in a Tiger Stadium? But, you know, what was what was the same? What was different? I mean, uh, we just thank our fans. You know, even though it's just 25,000, we still have the best fans in the whole world. You know, we just thank him for coming out. Like you said, this season was unfortunate, but, I mean, on to the next. Uh, we know our fans go ride behind us. We ride behind our fans, and we, we feed off our fair energy. And, like I said, just just to say we had 25,000, it was still loud. Spoken like a true leader. Damone Clark, thank you, man. Thank you. Go Tigers. All right, uh, sitting with Jabril Cox, standing with Jabril Cox. I don't know why I said sitting uh, after the game. Jabril, you got your first touchdown as a Tiger. Uh, and I know, look, let me start here. I kind of said the same thing with the other guys. You guys lost. I know you're upset. Um, there are negatives, but I want to talk about the whole aspect of the game. So that it does include some positive. You did get in the end zone tonight. I know it's hard with the loss, but what did it feel like to make that play? Kind of, kind of walk me through it from start to finish. What you saw um, to make the play, and then how it felt to to walk in the end zone. Yeah, going into the game, we knew they were going to have a lot of under routes going, so I just wanted to jump the under route and uh, just we we knew that we had to play man to man a lot this game, and losing a couple guys hurt, but overall just having that pick and just having the momentum change during the first part felt very great to uh, just start off the 2020 season with the pick six. Give me some context because when I was going back and looking at your highlight package from NDSU, you've done that before, right? You've gotten a couple pick sixes. 
Yeah, uh, I like playing in the open field, so that's where I felt more, more comfortable guarding, guarding players and everything. So just uh, getting having Coach Bo get me back used to in that position really helped with the transition and just showing it today. All right, so put on your coach's hat for me for a second. Um, you guys got a lot of stuff to fix, uh, and I know y'all are going to get to work on that with that on, on Tell the Truth Monday. Where, where do you start, do you think, defensively? Because you look at the box score, passing yards were an issue. Y'all lost some one-on-ones on the edge. Y'all, y'all are missing some guys. What's the first thing you think that the LSU defense needs to fix going into Vanderbilt? I think we all have to look at each other, ourselves, one, one as a whole. Uh, there were a lot of plays. I know the big plays, as you see, is the D-backs, but there were a lot of other times where we could have got more pressure on the quarterback to prevent them from throwing the ball. So we just have to look at each other as a whole and just uh, just continue to work hard and uh, go one and zero next week. All right, now give me kind of the opposite. Give me the thing to build on. The thing that y'all did well tonight. Mm-hmm. That if you keep doing that and keep that going, you think it'll carry the defense further. Yeah, holding the uh, offense to nine yards rushing, under ten yards. That's pretty good feat with a good running back that they have. So just getting pressure on the quarterback and just limiting the amount of rush yards that they had was very positive for us. First game in Tiger Stadium um, for a while. We didn't know if this was going to happen this fall. And certainly it's different. It's not the 100,000 that um, you may have you know, imagined when you first came this way, but it's not the zero that it could have been if, if we hadn't gotten things to where they are now to where we could play some football. So just kind of take me through your experience of first time in Death Valley. I know the result wasn't what you wanted, but just the, the emotions pregame, what, running out on the field, the emotions, making your first big play, just encompass that experience for me. Yeah, new team, new vibe, new everything. Uh, I was just embracing every moment that I had with these uh, with these guys because it's going to be my last first game in college. So just experiencing that, seeing Depth Valley, at least we got to have 25,000. That was more than I had in North Dakota, 19,000. Yeah. So uh, just having that part of it made the experience even great. So just seeing that was very true to me. For sure. Back in two weeks, hopefully with a W next time. Jabril, thank you, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Go Tigers. Uh, all right, catching up with LSU quarterback Miles Brennan for the second time since I didn't hit record the first time. Uh, sorry about that, Miles, for, for wasting your time. Uh, I'm sure you're just feeling great after losing a football game, and then I, I pulled that maneuver. So um, let's start with the second question that I asked you the first time we did this. One thing that you're, you're going to fix the first time you sit down and watch film, um, the first time you kind of talk with Coach Ensminger and, and, and reassess, what's the first thing you think that you need to fix to get the offense going a little bit faster next week? I'd say the first thing is making sure I'm not holding on to the ball too long, uh, you know, and, and we have to go back and, and make sure, you know, my protection checks were good and, and all around we just have to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, but, you know, personally I want to make sure that my eyes are in the right place, that I'm making the right reads, and that, you know, I'm making the throws that I need to make. Um, and I think from there, you know, we'll be just fine. One of the things you talked about in, uh, in the answer that we weren't recording was the slow start for the offense. What do you think jump-started you guys? Jeray made a play. Um, you hit an out to, to Eric on the flat, and that seemed to kind of get you guys going. But what do you think jump-started you guys offensively? Yeah, I mean, defense have been playing really well all half, and we really hadn't been coming along um, to give them a break. And we got the ball to start the second half, and we knew that we needed to go down and score points, and that's exactly what we did. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about it all week. The big plays were going to feel motion, and we needed to make big plays. Um, and we did, you know, on that drive, and you know, it, it led to a touchdown. Talk to me about that first touchdown pass because it was kind of, I mean, just it, it was kind of wild almost, but yeah, got the result. Got yeah, the job I done. mean, you know, I, first and second guy were covered, um, and I had a little pressure, um, and I saw Eric coming across the backside. Uh, you know, I just had to give my guy a chance, you know, and, and that's why he's here. And you know, I put the ball up for him to make a play, and I had all faith that he was going to come down with it. Uh, you, you had the interception. Arm got hit on the interception. Is what Correct. it looked like on the Correct. on the uh, on the tape. But to come back from that interception to deliver the next time, what, what was your mentality? Because I think one, you didn't play perfect, and I think you you're you know that, and and there's some things you want to fix. But what what I was personally impressed with was the resiliency to bounce back from that. So what was the mentality after that? Yeah, I mean, my focus been up until this game has been having a one play mindset. You know, and and. There's a lot, going to be a lot of good and a lot of bad that happens throughout of the game. And especially at the quarterback position, you need to be able to let the, the, the play before go, whether it was good or bad, and move on to the next play. And much as we throw the ball, unfortunately, interceptions are going to be part of the game. Yeah. You know, and, and not that we want them. And not that, you know, I wouldn't say that that was a bad read or anything like that. My arm did get hit. Uh, but we still had a whole half of football left, you know, and I can't let that one play ruin the entire night and, and, and let, let our team down. So. Um, just having a one-play mindset. 
first start in Tiger Stadium. You've you've played a lot of football in here before, but um, different circumstances with a smaller crowd, but better than zero fans, and good to certainly play football. But just kind of take me through what did it feel like to be out there on the field, and then the speed of the game. Was it you know just getting adjusted to that you've played at this level before so I'm, I'm guessing you're adapted to that but just it's different when, when you're the starter right yeah I mean nothing really changed for me uh, you know I've played here before um, you know and it was whether I was coming in third quarter or starting the game you know it, nothing changed for me um, the speed of the game was still the speed of the game here at the SEC it's this is big boy ball you know and this is elite athletes all, all across the field uh, so we just got to make sure that we watch the film and get better where we can and move forward started the interview with one thing that you'd like to fix to start off with. I'll end it with what's the thing that you can build on? What's the positive? What's the thing that you're going to watch on film and say, all right, if we do that more, we're going to be successful? Yeah, I mean, we fought, you know, and we fought until the very end. Um, Our guys made plays. Um, You know, if we can get the ball into our playmakers' hands, let them make plays, they're going to be just fine. That's a winning mentality right there. Hopefully back on track next week at Vanderbilt. Uh, Miles, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you. Victory 